0: Testing, t- testing, 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 testing is working. That sounds a little bit better. Well, hello, everybody. Still got a few people filtering in. Well, thank you very much for joining us for uh, today's session i uh, also going to say a welcome to all the people that may be watching this uh, online at a future date. Uh, MHI, due to the circumstances, is uh, accelerating the putting of these presentations on up on the web. I'm not sure the exact mechanism or whatever, but it's going to be faster, I think, than it normally is for the people that didn't make it into the show to see. So I want to welcome them as uh, well. going to talk a little bit today about what's really changing and some exciting changes, I think, uh, in the uh, WM, WMS uh, marketplace. Uh, My name is Dan Gilmore, I'm Chief Marketing Officer of uh, Softion, we are a supply chain software company, uh, which includes WMS and other uh, capabilities, warehouse execution systems, distributed order management. Some of you may also recognize me, I write a fairly popular column each week for publication Supply Chain Digest, so some of you may have seen my face from there. very pleased to be joined with my colleague at uh, uh, Softion today, Dinesh Dongre who's a VP of uh, strategy at the company and uh, one of the smartest guys in WMS around you're going to find. So we're going to share a a few things today. So I'm going to first, though, start off with a little bit of a quiz. Who can guess the year that the first real-time WMS, and real-time meaning use of some kind of wireless terminal, that kind of defines the WMS area. What what year was the first WMS installed in the United States? Somebody's got to guess. Nobody. 65, I hear 65. Do I hear something another? 69, you 69 there. Six, 69 I heard. Anybody else? 76, you almost win the prize. 1975, it's generally believed there was a Del Monte distribution center somewhere in Southern California. There was a competing claim but it, for catalyst, but it was about the same time. So WMS industry is 45 years old, hence why many people have called it very mature. And uh, I'm going to argue a little bit here that from that first you know, exciting time at Del Monte in 1975, uh, until the early 2000s, there was tremendous progress in WMS. Back then, it was all custom code and uh, you know very hardwired stuff. Then became a lot more flexible. But you know how much progress was really made uh, from the early 2000s till uh, today. And uh, over the Christmas holiday, I was cleaning up my office as I normally do, uh, and I found a folder that had an RFP in it from Canagra, circa 2003. And I started reading through that RFP, and I said, you know, I'll be damned. This looks exactly like an RFP from 2020. Uh, and it was really kind of amazing to me. And I guess my thought is that probably in 2003, a lot of the things were being asked for in the WMS um, weren't you know, necessarily as packaged Still require some customization or whatever. Maybe today it's a lot of the box stuff. But in terms of you know, sort of big, real advances, uh, you know, how much progress has been made? What happened is a lot of the WMS vendors, including to an extent Softian, you know, focused a lot on uh, adding to the portfolio. So adding other kind of modules and capabilities and whatnot. Uh, but we're here today to talk about you know, some things that are really starting to change, I think, and some exciting new developments in terms of WMS that hopefully you'll find interesting. Um, it's amazing the WMS...
1: Sorry, there's a quick request. There's Harry Bailey, can you come by the door? Apparently they lost their phone. So.
0: Oh, Harry, ba- Harry Bailey, there, there, I think he is right there. Okay, brief detour. Glad he got his phone back. Okay, so for a 45-year-old mature product, it's amazing how robust the WMS market continues to be. Okay? And there's all kinds of reasons for that, even for that very mature product. Just real quickly, obviously there's a lot of new construction DCs going on uh, for e-commerce and other kind of capabilities. Every time a, DC, a new facility is opened, it's kind of a chance for a new WMS. So certainly you may have an incumbent WMS uh, that uh, goes into that new facility, but to a certain extent it opens an inflection point, opens up an opportunity to say, hey, is what we have really what we want now that we got this new building, new design, whatever, maybe we need some new software to power that. Uh, companies experiencing some rapid growth, obviously, since until the last couple of weeks. We've had uh, 10 years or so of uh, you know, pretty decent uh, growth, and, and, and every time you get those volume pressures, that's always a big driver of the need. I can't keep up anymore, can't get the service that I need for my customers, I need something to get me a better positioned. Um, a lot of str- logistics strategy changes being made, obviously, dot com, e fulfillment, all that stuff is a big part of that, but there's other things, a lot of consolidation. Um, other things that are happening in the marketplace. And whenever there's a logistics strategy change, kind of opens up the opportunity for new WMS. Uh, At the same time, a lot of consolidation of facilities. And so we can get more out of the buildings that we build, hence why do we need so many buildings, Uh, let's maybe look at doing some consolidation, seeing a lot of that over the last few years. Um, Increasing automation, certainly a lot of companies now with the labor shortage and the problems that we have, looking to automate those facilities. Does the WMS that I've been running for however many years really support that automation? In many cases, the answer is no. i got to go out and get something else. Um, rising distribution costs, certainly in the e-fulfillment game, that's obviously very noticeable, but costs are rising, wages going up, a lot of other factors driving that increase in costs. And Maybe I need something to counter that trend. Omnichannel fulfillment, we've already kind of talked about. No, the, you know, the old technology, how many of you out there have had or have now maybe in the past just very dated platform, kind of a burning platform we sometimes call it, where you can't even hardly support it anymore, the people, the uh, process, et cetera, I gotta look for something new. And then a lot of people looking at the cloud. So these are just all, and there's some others, but I just bring these up as to why, 45 years after the first WMS, why there is still such a hefty, but go the show floor here, you're gonna see dozens of WMS vendors, most of us doing pretty well, Uh, and it's just because of these factors that are driving the interest in uh, WMS. So, So I mean,
1: just one quick thing on the Omnichannel, so if you think about WMS's historically as well, it was primarily around DC's, if you will. WMS meant working something in the DC, and store was independent, completely separate. When you say Omnichannel today, whether it's dropship, whether it's store, whether it's DC, in terms of capability to pick, pack, and ship, it's more relevant across all of the network now, all of the nodes. It's no more limited to just a DC or a distribution center. So when you think WMS, now it's transformed outside of the traditional definition of WMS itself. Yeah,
0: good point. So here's some, some new trends that I think are kind of changing that dynamic from, if you will, incremental progress to some things that are going on. So um, it's no longer really a new trend, but there are some things I think we can share in terms of WMS in the cloud. We've got a lot of experience implementing WMS in the cloud and have learned a few lessons along the way and just going to share a little model in terms of how you might think about that. Uh, Trying to get the cost and time down of WMS implementations. It still takes too long, it's too painful, too hard. How can we use some things like templates and wizards to do that? Uh, More integrated support for systems. How do we, these things we want to add on to give a new boost to productivity. Why do they take so long? Why do they cost so much? Why do they not deliver all the value that we think they should? We'll talk about that a little bit. This trend from traditional sort of transactional voice, it's called, to conversational voice. Very exciting uh, development that's going on. We'll talk about that a little bit. And then this notion of warehouse execution system. This is probably the most exciting trend. Uh, what's really going on in terms of something that can be added on top of an existing WMS uh, and, and really bring new levels of performance in a way that hasn't been achievable before with the way we've uh, implemented WMS. As capable as they are, this is a new level of productivity that can be changed. So there's some more things we could add, but these are the five kind of key trends we wanted to talk about that is very different in this year and the last few years than we had for the last 15 or 20 years. Okay? And if you have any questions or comments along the way, feel free to raise your hand. I'll wave it a little bit, and I'll try to find you. But uh, you know, WMS got a late start to the cloud. Why did w, compared to TMS, compared to global trade management systems, compared to some others? Why was that? Uh, well, a lot of it was because there was fear about real-time processes. Uh, RF communications, voice communications, materials handling integration, uh, even label printing to an extent, things like that. People were worried it just wasn't going to, you know, perform satisfactorily in the cloud. Um, But despite getting a late start, things are moving very, very rapidly to the cloud. Right now, about two-thirds of our new implementations are cloud-based deployments, just as a f- point of reference. Uh, you see here Gartner, this is actually a year or two old, but uh, Gartner said by 2020, 90% of spending on supply chain execution systems, and WMS is lumped under that supply chain execution systems, will be for cloud-based solutions. Um, you know, to do that well, though, to get that performance that you need to have the surety of the response times that you need, the architecture, underlying architecture of the system is very uh, critical. We'll talk a little bit about that. And you know, really, you can look at several different models. There's obviously the cloud model, there's the on traditional high, uh, on-premise model. There's also some um, hybrid model. So we have some third-party logistics clients, just an example, that may have or, you know some number of facilities. They have you know cloud for some 75% of them. A couple of them they're worried about bandwidth performance, so they have on-premise. So you got kind of a mixed environment. Oh, geez, I want to move the on-premise to the cloud. Can I just easily migrate that with the same solution that I've got? working on premise, you know, et cetera. So these are all the factors you got to kind of consider. And, you know, one of the important things from an architecture perspective is, you know, have you really built it for the web? So there's a way to, in terms of things, for example, like RF track traffic, have I optimized the packet size and different techniques uh, that you can use to ensure the performance that you're getting and do that in a very smart way. So you want to yeah. add, yeah, no, just one
1: other thing. If you think about adoption in the cloud, so if you said TMS traditionally has been a bit faster than WMS, part of the reason is also attributable to the fact that TMS in, was primarily around collaboration, so it was more than one party involved in terms of orchestrating stuff. But WMS historically was within the four walls. But when Diane talked about logistics strategy changes, that's driving some of the WMS uh, um, enhancements, if you will, or transformation, it is part of that collaboration. So if you look at you know global visibility for customers, visibility real time, across all stakeholders, if you will, in the logistics uh, supply chain space is what is driving some of that adoption to cloud where people are becoming more comfortable that cloud is the way because to support that collaboration.
0: Yeah, very good. So I'm just going to give you, this is actually a model I came up with many years ago. I used to be an industry analyst for a while. I came up with this a long time ago, but I get a lot of mileage out of it here many years later in 2020. If you think about the, the WMS, you know, Deplo- landscape, if you will, you can really say there's two different dimensions. There is the deployment model: am I uh, deploying it on-premise, uh, like we've always done for most software for many decades, or am I deploying it in the cloud? But then there's also a, a pricing model. Okay, am I buying an upfront license, or am I buying, uh, paying for the WMS on a subscription or transaction basis? And I bring this up. I'm going to fill in the blanks here in just a second. But when I ask people, they come. You know, I want cloud. I ask, well, why do you want cloud? Oh, well, for some it's the deployment aspect of it, for some it's the subscription aspect of it, for some it's both, for some it's something different. So um, um, you need to really think through what it is you're trying to achieve in order to decide what the best deployment and pricing strategy is going to be for your scenario. So, you know, the traditional bottom left, uh, the traditional model was on premise deployment with the license model. The traditional, if that's the right word to use, cloud model is pricing subscription pricing with cloud deployment but you can have various hybrids of that right you could have an on-premise deployment but do it with subscription pricing you could have a cloud deployment and do it with an upfront license so you just got to kind of think about it again what it is you're trying to achieve there's actually another dimension to it which is who's going to manage the application so when you have an on-premise model typically somebody in your own IT staff is going to manage the databases and do all that stuff when you move to the cloud you can still do that stuff yourself, but often you have the option of some third party like the WMS vendor uh, or even somebody else do that managed services for you. So you look at these three different dimensions, application model, pricing model, deployment model, you gotta kind of figure out a way through what it is you really want to achieve to figure out where on that, mo- that framework you really want to uh, uh,
1: to, uh, to go. I mean, uh, I mean, a lot of the decisions around this will be driven around competency organizationally. You know, if you're IT, uh, competency is much higher than you're typically tending towards where you can manage a lot of that stuff as opposed to outsourcing it, uh, for lack of a better word. And in terms of investments, is it investments from a capital perspective or is it something that you want to do from an OPEX perspective? So a combination of those drivers is what is going to help define what model makes sense. And so you want to be looking for you know, opportunities with software vendors who can offer that level of flexibility that is op- most appropriate for the business. So you know,
0: as you do this, what you hope to get, I think, one of the promises of Cloud WMS is that uh, you can really scale your a single solution to be able to meet multiple deployment needs from big, large distribution centers with a lot of sophistication, down to more local or regional uh, uh, e-fulfillment or other kind of uh, scenarios where you can uh, have the same product footprint uh, really work across a number of different location types. Okay? And I'm just gonna moat this, I'll say this. First off, we are seeing much less issues with bandwidth and those kind of latency concerns than you might have thought when we first started to get into this. It's almost a non-issue for the vast majority of the implementations that we look at. So that's the good news. The other good news is that if you do need to have some kind of process, whether it's label printing or RF or voice, or materials handling integration, or whatever, and there are some concerns about the performance. You have the ability to have a local agent, if you will, that just manages. It's the WMS is still in the cloud, but you've got a local agent that is managing those t- very time-sensitive things by interfacing with the cloud and then in locally with those uh, the, with those subsystems. So, that's this is something we haven't had the, the need for a lot, but it, sometimes it comes in handy.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I think uh, it combination of uh, you know volume and combination of comfort for lack of a better mm-hmm. word so if you have especially on the cloud if you're able to incorporate bandwidth to the cloud where it is not overloaded with the rest of your corporate you know na- activity if you mm-hmm. will mail document exchange so forth so th- depending on the context of how you connect to the cloud is where that becomes part of the equation is, does it make sense to have something localized to support that, or do you have enough bandwidth to support complete cloud isolation so you don't have to have anything local? It's a combination of things, the decision is going to be really based on your specific context, but, but the reality is you need to be able to look for uh, you know software components that allow you for that distributed deployment behavior. Yeah. And the bottom line of that is, you know,
0: if you're concerned about cloud WS performance for performance type reasons, except, you know, there may be parts of the world or whatever, but in the United States and most other pla- you know, places, advanced economies, it really is not an issue. This is the, the, one of the key takeaways you should, you should come away with here, that through a combination of just the natural performance, the existing bandwidth, and this kind of agent type uh, deployment, uh, it can really eliminate almost any concerns you have about the, being able to deliver in the cloud and the timeliness that you're looking for. So that's kind of trend number one, and hopefully you found that a little bit useful in terms of that framework or whatever. I number, every time we go out to a new prospect, I wind up drawing that four-box quadrant, and it usually gets me some mileage there in terms of helping people to think about this. So I'm moving on to the second tr- trend, and it's something I've been involved in the WMS business for a long time, and I'll say here 45 years after the first WMS, to a general extent, uh, a, I don't want to say the dirty little secret, but there's some sense of that, that WMS deployments today take too long, they're too costly, there's too much pain. Okay? and we've got to find some ways to get past that uh, in terms of uh, time to value, in terms of uh, reduce, never going to get rid of the pain totally, but we should be able to reduce the amount of that pain substantially. we got a number of different ways we think about that, but one of them is this idea, uh, notion of using templates and wizard-like tools in order to main, uh, develop the configurations, okay? So this has been tried in the WMS industry several times by various players. To the best of my knowledge, all of them have failed one way or the other, okay? Uh, without trying to make this commercial or we think we've got a little bit of a better mousetrap, but just think about the idea of a WMS implementation being driven by a interactive dialogue that is almost to the extent of a turbo If you're, I'm sure most of you are familiar with turbo Tax tech, or you know HNR blocks equivalent and et cetera, et cetera, where, where it walks you through what, the, uh, what all the things you need to do, and it's smart, and it knows if I put one value here, that means I gotta go to this next area of the tax form, that if I don't put this value here, I don't need to go to here, right? So that's really where I think we need to have, think about the WMS being able to go in terms of deployment, it needs to be able to uh, tell you what you need to input and configure, it needs to be aware of what you've already done. One of another little dirty little secrets of the WMS industry is that uh, in most systems, if I put a value of three over here, I'm just making something up here, Uh, and that confounds with the value five I put over here. The smarts aren't really there to tell you I put three here and five here, and they're not compatible, right? So I think we're gonna move, we're not all the way there yet, but I think we're gonna move to this era where we have a TurboTax-like dialogue uh, in our implementations, whether that's for the first one or especially on rollouts of multiple scenarios there, and it's really going to ease the pain and time of implementation, and it's also going to error-proof the implementation because I can put the smarts into that wizard and let the wizard do its job rather than the person having to understand all the things that I've entered up to this point in time. So, Dinesh has been a big uh, thinker in this wizard concept. You maybe just uh, add a few thoughts.
1: I mean, you can think about it in three, you know, kind of three dimensions. If you're a 3PL, you know, you know the need for this to be able to onboard a new client, onboard a new facility, set that up is always critical, it's it's a revenue context. So the faster you do, the faster you realize revenue. That's very black and white. But if you look at today's other context of retail, consumer goods, and so forth, whether it is a pop-up DC that you're doing for, for an event or anything that needs for a local uh, transport position point, or you're looking to compete with the likes of Amazon's, where you're saying I want to offer two-hour delivery or a six-hour delivery, you're looking for DCs or distribution points that are closer to the customer then the need to be able to stand that up very quickly is extremely critical. And it may be that these stand-up points don't have to be permanent situations. Like the pop-up DCs, they could be one-offs that are set up for a certain period of time, turned off, pop up another place at a different time. The need for speed to get these up and running where you can replicate the process so you're not going through a genuine implementation every time you do that is absolutely critical. And you can understand why it would be meaningful where you're not investing as much time, but giving yourself the flexibility to support being closer to the customer.
0: Yeah. So just imagine, I mean, a whole new paradigm about how you think about implementing a WMS for the first time in subsequent facilities or pop-up facilities or whatever that's talked about there. This is a very exciting development here, and it's this natural evolution, it seems to me. This is the way it should be done. We're not all the way there yet, but we're getting awfully close, and I think this is going to take a lot of that pain and time and risk out of WMS deployments that are still with us all these years later. So uh, happy to talk with you more about that uh, uh, here after the session. Oops. I think I hit, uh, what did I do? Uh, I think I bungled here. Oh, there we go, Very, uh, thank you. OK, number three, and this one's going to be a little different, but you know, you look at all these technologies that are out there. There's so many of them that people are looking at, uh, whether that's light, whether that's voice, whether that's smart cards, whether that's mobile robots. I'm absolutely convinced virtually every one of you is going to have some kind of mobile robot in your distribution center over the next uh, three to five years. Maybe you're going to have a whole bunch of them, OK? Um, what did I leave out? Put walls, just as another example. And There will be new ones coming along, right? There's all these different technologies. <coughs> the way that most of these systems work today is that there is some kind of interface from the WMS to the software that's running the light system, or the voice system, or the software that's running the put walls, or whatever. And there's this kind of interface type approach, okay, where orders are thrown over the wall, the, wall, the, the, the uh, subsystem does its work, throws the uh, answers back to the WMS, Uh, and we have some level of of confirmation or whatever. Um, That approach, I think, is not gonna stand going forward uh, in the the medium term, right? It really limits, I'm gonna give you an example of that. It really limits your flexibility in terms of how you can operate these systems together, right, and especially in terms of optimization. Each of these systems is like its own little silo, and I'm not able to see the big picture in terms of all the things that are happening in terms of the picking, replenishment, uh, slotting, and more type of activities that all go together to delivering success. Okay, and also it's very difficult to handle exceptions. I'm going to give you an example of that as well. Um, I talk uh, several times in the last couple of months. I've talked to people in the uh, that customers or prospects that have a pictolite system, and they say, you know, Dan, every Friday we got to go in and there's a bunch of orders for the week that we somehow never got executed. Okay, we got to clean all those up. Okay. Well, why are they sitting there? Well, because of this interface-type approach, and the WMS doesn't really have it, and the Pictolite can only do so much, and so in the end, there's just things that don't ever get handled. Okay, I think there is a better way that uh, is emerging that we can think about here. So, um, I, here's what I talked about: each each system has its own, you know, kind of software. So you get that. I'm going to go past it. Um, you know, there's a number of things. One, Number one, it adds to the cost of hardware, right, because what it should be kind of commodity hardware is in fact being, uh, the price is being elevated by the fact that I have this proprietary software that goes with it, and hence I can't buy it as commodity hardware, can't really optimize end-to-end processes. I talked about that. And really what happens is everything operates kind of in a silo rather than being an integrated platform. And so we think there is a better way to do that here. And that's really directly communicating with each of these different types of subsystems, whether it's voice, mobile robots, et cetera, and more. Okay? And that allows you to get uh, you know, past the limitations of the interfaced approach and really have a truly integrated system that's looking at all of these things in conjunction. And I'm going to walk you through a use case that hopefully will make that make some sense. So uh, let's just imagine something we're calling a robotic helper task. Again, I'm going back to my thesis that the vast majority of you are going to have mobile robots in your distribution center in the next three to five years. Why? Because they A, provide a lot of value, B, because the labor situation and everything that's going on with that is going to dictate that if I can replace some people with some robots, I'm probably going to be a little bit better off. So imagine I'm doing some piece picking from a forward pick area. Okay. Now, let's say a picker with a cart winds up at a pick location and the expected inventory is not there. I thought there was supposed to be four there. There's only two there or there's zero there or whatever. So what, it, what happens? The, I was doing some cluster picking as just, you know, going to one location, picking multiple orders. So maybe that there was a one, one, and two were three orders for that SKU. So I went to do a cluster pick. I could do the one and one, but the two I can't get because there were supposed to be four, but there's only two. Okay. So what happens there? Well, it can either be short picked, you know, meaning I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confirm that I'm not picking this item, depending on your business rules, or maybe I have to uh, skip it and then it's going to circle me back around maybe or some other. But it's an exception. It's an exception. It's very costly, very difficult to you know, multiply this time some number uh, at any block of time. It's very, very difficult to manage. Okay, So now let's think about how we might do this with a mobile robot. <clears throat> if the picker has to, it says there's no inventory in the location, now I'm going to generate a high-priority immediate cycle count. All right? So if somebody's going to come out, check that location, the system thinks there's still two left, but there is, in fact, zero left. Okay. When I do that confirmation with the cycle count, now it's going to generate a very high-priority replenishment task because I got an order out there that needs two of these things that need to be closed out and fulfilled and deal with this exception. And so that priority task is going to be uh, uh, escalated to the very top of the uh, task heap. Okay, So our picker keeps working on their remaining picks. Okay if it's complete the picker's going to take the tote to packing where the missing sku are directed to some, this orders with the missing sku is directed to some kind of hospital zone or whatever you, terminology it is you want to use now let's think about that's the you know that that's what can happen now now how do i close out that exception okay i'll imagine this the original picking location is replenished so we you know maybe it holds 24 i don't know whatever the number is there so we've done that cycle count we have created that emergency replenishment now we're sending 24 of that item to the, um, to the skew location, okay? Now, the robot is going to arrive at that location for the skew that was missing, okay? And as he does that, the picker, a picker, a different picker is now approaching that location, okay? We know that through some kind of real-time sensing mechanism, real-time locator system, that we know that there's a picker headed to that location. He meets the robot at that location. They pair up, we make sure it's the right robot and the right Uh, 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 human associate. And in addition to doing the picking he has in that area, it's going to say, oh, by the way, take two of these, put them on the robot. Okay? We call this the new task interleaving. Why do we call it task interleaving? Because the picker was doing his own picks, or his or her own picks, but now we're asking him to do another pick to deal with this out-of-stock situation we had. So the uh, picker puts those two items on the helper robot, and the helper robot travels on to the hospital zone. The missing SKUs show up, you put them in the order, the order that was shorted, pack it up, ship it out the door, and there you go. And now you take an exception process that's very difficult to manage in a traditional distribution center, and now you've made it smooth and easy. There's another approach to this, which is where I could have had the robot go into, uh, uh, go and, and go directly, rather than to the pick location, and take it directly from some kind of storage, or reserve storage, and take it directly to the hospital zone, or whatever it happens to be. But the point of all that is, think of the interactions that went on here. The robot was picking, you were doing picking with the robot, But now there's an exception, how do I handle that? Well I have to invoke a whole bunch of WMS functionality in order to make that happen, I have to do a cycle count, I have to trigger an emergency replenishment, I have to interleave that pick in this new kind of way. And that's where I think hopefully made some sense in terms of showing up the weakness of the interfaced module where the picking system only has this limited span of control versus the advantages of having a holistic span of control where I can interleave these different functions together. So, covered a lot of ground there. Hopefully it made some sense. any you wanna kinda just add some thoughts there? Okay, so this is the new potential, I think, for integrating these kind of subsystems, okay? There's a lot of benefits to this approach As I said before, you can use much cheaper hardware. You can either put those costs in your pocket or you can use it to invest in more automation. So we have some examples of some customers that are using thousands of lights. You may, maybe you only today would light up five or ten percent of your SKUs, the highest volume SKUs, because it's so costly. Well, maybe with this more commodity type hardware approach, with the uh, with the uh, 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 managing software, maybe I can afford to light up fifteen or twenty percent of my SKUs. Whatever those numbers happen to be. Um, Eliminate this, you don't have to have the, all these interfaces between the WMS and the third-party applications, uh, all that the dynamic planning and, you know, looking holistically at the problem, again, delivers a, a lot of benefits, et cetera. And think about the flexibility. So I'm just going to say this real quick, and I, I've had a number of conversations even in the first two days here at Modex. Go back to that mobile robot that I keep harping on here. If you take the interfaced approach to that mobile robot, that means you're kind of locked into that robot vendor. And this is a very early set of the market. We were doing a lot of work with a company called Canvas Technologies um, in terms of a partnership uh, last year or so. And then um, was it ProMAD of 2019? At that show, it was announced that Amazon is buying Canvas. And they're taking it all in-house. So all the work we've done in terms of the integration, all the things we've done with Canvas, we're basically thrown out the window. My point there is there's going to be that same kind of dynamic we've gone on for years now. There's going to be mergers. There's going to be acquisitions. Some of the mobile robot vendors aren't going to make it. There's going to be new cart configurations. Some robots from China are going to come over. All those kind of things. So you need a platform where you can take the robots you've got and add to them so you have a different type of product that needs a different cart configuration. You want to be able to add in new robots from any vendor of your choosing Okay, and have them work side by side with the robots you've already got. You don't have to throw the robots you have away to implement the robots now you like better today. Keep the 15 I've got, add 10 more from the new model that I like a little bit better. So that's the the promise of the flexibility is what's really key, I think, to this integrated approach that we're talking about here.
1: Uh, The only thing I'll call out here is I think what this also brings to bear is the fact that just like you're looking at WMS evolution is saying not having those boundaries. It also means that you can not, you don't have to be restricted to thinking about processes and traditional boundaries. You could be a bit more creative in terms of what do you expect, what do you want to accomplish, and what can software support. You don't have to be structured in your thinking like traditional boundaries that software historically had.
0: Okay, very good. So we won't spend a lot of time on this, but you know, the analyst dialogue or the analyst terminology, if you will, is that what we normally think of as voice. Activity, voice picking, that is what they're calling now transactional voice. I'm just doing, I stopped here, read the check digit, confirm, yes, you know, whatever that dialogue is. And um, uh, so uh, what we're looking at now is more of the notion of what is called conversational voice, where I'm acting in an almost Siri like, uh, if you will, environment where I can ask and query the system in terms of uh, uh, different uh, items that I want so that the interface for many workers winds up becoming not a traditional RF or other type device interface, but winds up becoming a voice interface, okay? Where it's seeing now is things like starting with metrics and updates and things like that, but it's gonna evolve into a more full-blown dialogue over the next three to five years. I can guarantee you that's gonna happen there, and it's really gonna change the way you think about deploying WMS in your facility, when now the operator is not gonna be looking, necessarily, at an RF screen, but maybe it's gonna be in a conversation with the the WMS through the conversational voice capabilities, and so just some kind of examples we threw up here, you know, I need a replenishment for this location, where are we on that last wave, whatever your dialogue winds up being. This isn't sort of Star Wars or whatever, we're already kind of well down the path, there are a lot of different ways to go, but this is, I think, again, uh, how you might want to start to think about how the human interface to your system might be different going forward through the use of voice in a conversational way rather than our traditional modes.
1: Now, the other thing is if you look at today's demographic (coughs) and the the new generation, if you will, of people who are probably getting into supply chain workforce, uh, the Alexas, the Cortanas, the CDs, they are so ubiquitous. I mean, people take it for granted that they can interact with a lot of things in terms of voice. So it's no different. So when you're looking at that demographic and how they're participating in this space, this becomes a natural link in, natural convergence to expect similar behavior within your WMS space as well. Yeah, very good.
0: Okay, covering them further quickly here. and the last thing is just you know the rise of sort of the warehouse execution system. You guys may be familiar uh, with that term. it means different things to different people ask 10 different people what WES or warehouse execution system means. You're going to get 10 different answers okay uh, But what I think is starting to happen here is they, they started out and I think I have some slides on this uh, in terms of heavily automated systems and finding a better way to level load the volumes onto those automation systems. Uh, But I think you're going to start to see that, uh, and we're already seeing it right now, apply to non-automated and medium-automated environments as well. Uh, Some of the things that are going to happen here is you're going to see start the new capabilities from what a WMS has traditionally had in terms of simulation, in terms of optimization, in terms of order orchestration, all the different activities that are happening in the distribution center, driving towards meeting that customer service requirement. How do I do those in a more intelligent way than I've been able to do in the past? And this really is that step change in capabilities excuse me, uh, versus the incremental progress we've kind of had. And we're moving, remember this term, we're moving to the new era of what many are calling the autonomous distribution center. I've also heard the term smart distribution center used. But Gartner, that does a lot of work in this area, uh, has been using both of those terms, and it's where the WMS itself is going to make increasingly uh, more decisions without the need for human intervention. One of the things we came to realize, working with a number of companies, is even in very advanced WMS, Human beings are still making a lot of the decisions. And what does that do? First off, can they really process all of the information it takes in terms of orders and replenishments and inventory and cutoff times and carrier customer commitments? Can, it, can, it, can somebody really process all of that you know, effectively? Second, every time a human being has to make a decision, it adds some latency and dwell time into the process. It takes me 10 minutes. It takes me 20 minutes. It takes me 30 minutes in order of looking up at the information. Processing that information, analyzing that information, and finally, ultimately, making a decision. We're talking about a new, exciting new era where the WMS is going to take care of much of that
1: by itself. Now, I think this is this is aligned with what you're seeing mostly across the, all industries, right? In terms of AI and ML and stuff, the fact that humans can process certain dimensions to a certain degree, there's only so much we could do. But if you're looking at even learning within, you know, having smart planners or looking at learning it and transposing it back into the business, there is institutional knowledge and dependency on those people. But now you're taking two things you're taking away. One is taking the risk of that institutionalized knowledge that that can help optimize operation. The second one is you're incorporating technology that can take a multitude more dimensions than what traditional humans can do. And that learning is a lot more real time, a lot more quicker, a lot more responsive than it would be in a traditional model.
0: I'm going to just explain a little bit how we got to this scenario here because it's very interesting. I've been following this for many, many years. I've played a lot of different roles in my career here. But, you know, we kind of started out with this notion of WMS and then WCS. What is WCS? Well, we think it should be something that can kind of physically controls what's happening on the automation system. It's turning the rollers. It's moving the diverts. It's, con- it's executing the merges. It's executing the induction. It's doing all that stuff. It really should, the brain, the smart should be in the WMS. That's my opinion, opinion of many. Uh, and the WCS should just be a execution system, okay? Why is that? Well, for a number of reasons, but a key one being, if I have to make a change, if I have smarts in, <coughs> excuse me, my, I drive If I have to make changes, if I have smarts in the WCS, I often have to make changes in the WMS and the WCS. If the WCS just does what the WMS tells it to do, usually I just have to make a change in the WMS. It makes things a lot simpler. But what happened? In many scenarios, we wound up having some smarts in the WCS. Why did that happen? For a variety of reasons. Number one, sometimes automation is going into a facility that has a mediocre or older WMS, and the WMS just isn't capable of it, and somehow the decision is made, it's easier to add this capability in the WCS, even though it probably shouldn't really be there, but that's the path of least resistance, so I'm going to put it there. Second, frankly, sometimes the materials handling vendor, the big companies that are out there, sometimes they really own control, if you will, of the customer. They're in the driver's seat position with that particular customer, and guess what? The MHE vendor would like to add more value with their software and their system, so they're going to push for some of that smarts to be in their WCS rather than putting in the WMS. And then frankly, sometimes there's some horse trading going on uh, you may not even be aware of, but between the materials handling vendor and the WMS vendor, and in terms of who's going to do what, there's some you know, side calls and meetings and whatever, and we wind up coming up with some model that may include some smarts in the WCS. Okay? So that's kind of the phase one. Then phase two, we had the rise of this warehouse execution system. Actually been a fairly number, good number of years ago. But it really has come into prominence WES in the last three to five years, and especially in the last 12 to 24 months, frankly. Okay, And the idea here is that the WES was developed because of perceived shortcomings in WMS technology. That was related to the fact that the WMSs were somewhat oblivious to what was really happening on the automation. We're doing some things to maximize its own effectiveness, but that wasn't really... Uh, thinking about what was happening on the automation. And the results were big peaks and valleys. And if anybody's seen, you know, you can go into a distribution center, and at the beginning of the wave, or the middle of the wave, there's all this volume going through, and then the last 10-15 minutes of the wave, there's a few cartons here and there until we start up the next wave or whatever. So, um, that limitation of the WMS, I will to say, is true probably for some vendors. I would say not for all, but that's a side comment there. Uh, but it just, you know, it's really designed to b- optimize the flow of work based on capacities and constraints and the workload on the automation, and that's where this notion of waveless processing has come into effect, because with the wave-based processes, perhaps somewhat unfairly, but with the wave-based processes were blamed as the reason for these ups and downs, because the wave was picked and executed in a way to get batch-picking efficiencies, but without really that smooth flow of goods onto the automation system. Did that should look like we going to say something? or? Okay. All right. So I'll do. So again, I'm trying to give you some history as to how we got here, um, where we we did. The message I'll take away is that the same kind of perspective, and I'm going to say the WS vendors were large, the original ones, there's also a handful of them, were largely right. The WMSs, in many cases, did not well focus on materials handling and equipment utilization. But what I'm going to add to that is, if you think about it, the problems of process flow, of resource availability, of capacities and constraints, and other type of dynamics here apply just as equally for a non-automated warehouse as they do for an automated warehouse. I have a set of resources, they have a given throughput. Okay? I have a certain amount of demand coming on. Is that satisfactory or not? And if it's not satisfactory, what is my answer to the question of how do I reroute that work or, or otherwise handle that work in a way that's gonna keep that level load of volume going here? So. Um, we'll, this is kind of a repeat from some of the things we said here, but you know, the, the WS addresses problems with like lack of visibility to what's really happening on the DC floor at a very granular level in real time across however you want to define those nodes, labor planning challenges, right people, right place, right time, adding technology, we talked about that. There's still great opportunities for optimization of the picking process to improve productivity, reduce total travel time meeting carrier cutoff times. We're seeing this all over the place, where the four o'clock FedEx truck is going and a certain amount of orders need to be on that truck, and it's almost a matter of some chaos. I, I know that's maybe too strong a word to use, uh, but certainly there's a lot of pressure and uncertainty about it. all the orders are on the truck, on the truck. Where are they? Where's the status? Where everything is, okay? This is a big problem in the era of e-commerce, and I talked about this WMS being highly reliant on human decision-making. So this is, these are some real problems 45 years after WMS after all the WS implementations are happening, we still are facing these kind of problems in our distribution centers. That's why this advent of WES, I think, that can address these is so exciting. So what can WES do, whether it's standalone or whether it's attached to a WMS, uh, that can enable companies to meet customer demand and service commitments at the least possible cost? Why can I say least possible cost? Because uh, if you have the right set of algorithms and uh, visibility, you can know that the decisions you've made at any point in time is the best one you could have made at that point in time. Okay, so it doesn't mean if you can't, if you uh, automate, add some new automation, you could still get more efficiency. But for a given facility at a point in time, you can be confident that you've made the decision that is the least cost for that operation. I think this is very important too. It, you can significantly reduce the gap between the theoretic throughput of a distribution center or a given system, and the actual throughput. Now, it's never gonna be exactly equal, okay? But you can go a long way to shrinking that gap. We're hearing reports all over the place in put-wall operations, and if you're familiar with put-walls, you got the cubbyhole type of thing, and you got the modules, and you're putting orders in, whatever, we're hearing, the key to that is turning those cubbyholes, right, very frequently. I don't know what the right metric is, five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it happens to be. We're hearing calls of people that are waiting 60 minutes, 90 minutes, 120 minutes for the or, all the line items for an order to show up. There's all kinds of reasons for that, but in the end, it has to do with inefficient uh, uh, um, release of work, especially at a line item level. So if I have, for example, three line items on an order, two of them are coming from a high-speed uh, uh, carton flow rack area uh, with quick transport to the packing area, but I've got one line item that's up on a mezzanine someplace that's going to take a longer time to pick, and it's going to take several minutes to uh, travel from the mezzanine on a conveyor or manual transport to that packing area. Well, you need to, in effect, release that mezzanine order 40% earlier, if you will. That's not the exact right math, but it's close enough, to those two carton flow rack line items so that they're going to show up at the put wall simultaneously. You're going to be able to turn that wall all the time. Okay? So these are the kind of things that I think are possible now with the coming era of uh, WES. And really, you know, uh, these you know, capabilities are just sort of the opposite of the problems that I talked about before have that real-time visibility. However you want to define it, right? Do I want to just know what's happening right now in my PIC module as a single unit? Do I want to know what's happening on each level of a three-level high PIC module? Do I want to know what's happening right now in each zone of each level of a three-high-level PIC module? Right? Your definition. Whatever is meaningful to you in terms of of throughput and and conditions and events, you want to be able to define that so I can see right now, and here's the key thing, it's not just for your ability and management ability to see what's happening. That same information is what's driving the WS, WES to make those kind of real-time optimal decisions because it's aware of the activities, the bottlenecks, and the resources. Uh, the other thing I'll just kind of hear on this chart is just use of simulation. So one of the things uh, that we're doing, I'm gonna say we're doing, it, mostly not commercial here, but I'll say it anyways, uh, which is we are taking a set of work. Beginning of the day, the work is known. Some of the work is known, some of it isn't. So let's say 20% of the work is known. We're going to forecast the other 80% based on history and and historical patterns, okay? And then we're going to run that work through a simulator, and it's going to come back and give you what's called a time-phase plan from 9 to 10, 10 to 11, 11 to 12, what it is that you have in terms of resources versus demand. And it's going to show you the hot spots where I got trouble. It's going to show you where I'm good. It's going to show you where I have too many resources. And that plan is going to continue to update as the amount of work that's forecast becomes less and the amount of work that's known it becomes more. So some exciting sense of capabilities there. And I'm going to pass that in the interest of time. But this just shows you an example. It's kind of a made up chart. But it's showing you through running that simulation uh, where I've got, uh, see you see the 1,300 hours, 1,400 hours, 1,500 hours, et cetera. And it's in a you know, graphical fashion here showing that I've got a lot more demand than I've got capacity as I get to the end of the day. But yeah, so. Do you want to talk about this one a little bit here? It's coming up with time. Just oh, kind of time, okay. So we just got a few seconds left, but this is just another view of this. And again, just come away with the notion of time-phase planning, that I'm going to be able to look from 9 to 10, 10 to 11, 11 to 12, and get some sense of what my resources and availability are here in that kind of green, red, yellow-type fashion. So I'm going to pass it here. So where are we headed, wrapping it up here? We are really headed to this era of a new autonomous warehouse, software, and autonomous distribution center operation. It's going to be a lot more automated decision-making, and it's going to be self-tuning. It's going to learn over time. Did that replenishment for the mezzanine really take as long as I just expected, or did it take a little bit longer, or did it take a little bit less? Okay, and I'm going to adjust that factor into my scheduler in an automatic-type fashion. And uh, you know, I think this relentless is going to be this big focus on product flow. We've had this notion of flow manufacturing for some three decades now. The principles haven't really been applied to the distribution center. This new aware type of software that really is monitoring conditions of what's going on can dramatically eliminate dwell time and uh, continue the uh, flow flow distribution in a way similar to the concept has been applied in manufacturing. So Dinesh, anything to add there in the last comment? No. So I think that's it. Uh, If you want to learn any more information, we'll be around here after the uh, event. Our booth is down there at 7466. You see the websites, etc. Thank you so much for joining us today.